Hi everyone, Lucy here, L.W. Hawksby, author on hidden abuse and narcissists in particular. I think I might do some reading from one of my books, The Notch, which was inspired by a story I heard from a chap I had a brief fling with, which most of them were back in the day when I was uh, certainly not healed from my trauma, who, and this chap claimed that he had had a, a sort of affair with a lady who died suddenly. And she'd been in uh, uh, what he described, of course, this is third hand because she's explained it to him, uh, a neglectful relationship, a lot of financial abuse, a lot of basically gold digging from her husband. And the lady, uh, her real name was Jane. Obviously, I'm not disclosing any more information than that on Jane, but uh, Jane had an affair with my uh, gentleman friend uh, several years ago. And she he found out suddenly through Twitter, there was a post up, Jane had died on a hiking trip in Wales. And the person she'd gone hiking with was this husband who Jane had disclosed she was planning on leaving. So The Notch by, you know, my author name, Elder W. Hawksby, was very much inspired by this sort of conversation I had with this chap. And I, I really wanted to look into uh, how women fall into these uh, marriages, particularly with covert abusers, particularly with these, with chaps that sort of are money motivated, status motivated, they're covert, it's not obvious abuse, it's not obvious violence, it's not obvious cheating. And um, this is one of my three books and I actually write about female abusers as well. So guys, if you listen to this, don't take offence. I do try to kind of not genderize abuse, but the character in this is Michael, who um, I based Jane's real life husband on. And so I wrote The Notch and I think it's a really good way to learn about and explore and understand victims of covert uh, domestic abuse, domestic violence. It's a good way to also listen to and hear that slow, insidious process of the abuse happening to the victim, but also the abuser. So I write in the first person narrative and the first person narrative means that you write from the point of view of the character. So in the notch, you hear the abuse and murder victim's voice and you hear the abuse and uh, murder perpetrator's voice also. So you hear Jane, who I actually called Alice in the notch, and you hear Michael. And then obviously just because I'm an author and to kind of like, you know, fatten the story up and give it an other angles and other elements, I have Serena, who is a, a alcoholic. Well, she's alcohol dependent, certainly. She's grieving. She's had many miscarriages. She's bitter. She's angry. She's fed up, to put it bluntly. And she's actually, if you read the book and you listen, she's got her own kind of abuse techniques towards her husband, Dylan. Uh, and Dylan has also uh, been unfaithful to Serena. So there's four characters, Alice, Michael, Serena and Dylan. And I'd like to read to you some of the notch just to give you a taste of it. And I think it's also, I mean, the way I write is always specifically targeted educational writing. I want to teach people about what goes on in toxic and abusive relationships that other people don't necessarily tell you. And it's entertaining as well. If you're lucky enough to get a book and be able to read and, and let, you'll come away from my books, I hope it's my plan, thinking, wow, okay, I didn't know that. I've learned from that. That's going to help me and that's going to help people I care about. So uh, I'll read the disclaimer for the beginning of the, uh, the notch, which I actually do a disclaimer at the beginning of all of my books, because again, just to prepare you, my books being written in the first person make them quite absorbing and quite triggering. And uh, because I write about mental health issues and miscarriage and addictions and violence, 
and sexual sadism and uh, other types of abuse, they, they can trigger you. So just be, be mindful of that. So the disclaimer for the notch is, this novel finally found its way to the treacherous peak of my list of writing projects in July 2019. Any similarity to anyone living or dead is entirely coincidental. The Notch will be the first in a series of novels featuring the characters dead and alive in this book. I'm using The Notch, particularly the first quarter of it, to introduce in detail a series of very different people. Once you've got to know them, there are some real twisty, turny surprises coming your way. Settle back, buckle in and enjoy your ride up the notch. In my writing, I explore mental health quite deeply and I specialise in exposing the neglected details and pathologies of relationship-based abuse. That said, I want to make it absolutely clear. This book does not in any way endorse or encourage the act of stopping taking any medication without the GP's say-so. So in this particular recording, my first one reading the notch to you, I'm going to do chapter one and chapter two and also my little prologue. Prologue. It's dark, really dark. I don't know where Michael's gone. Perhaps he was never here at all. Stumbling on slippery scree, snatching at slimy bracken and catching my face on heather, I'm trying to see but peering into dark grey gloom. I feel suffocated by the silence. I can smell green, brown and dark red and feel a wide expanse of space around me and hear virtually nothing bar my own breaths. Mossy rocks, mud and sticky bloody cuts on my hands and knees seem to signal where I am, but I still don't understand. My mouth's thick with saliva and my face feels numb. I can't move but I know I must get away from here, wherever I am. Now the coconut scent of torn gorse flowers is taunting me. The smell so comforting, yet frightening. I'm not baking a cake in my kitchen. I'm on a steep, dark hillside. There's a throbbing pulsing between my ears and my nose is blocked with the salty, sweetened musk of my own fear. Panting and crying now and stopping to turn left and then right, I'm desperately trying to work out how I got here. All I can hear is this strange ticking sound. My own heartbeat or time falling away towards something terrible, something bad. I'm horrendously scared. Okay, Alice, be calm. It's just the dream. Don't worry, it's just the dream. In the distance, a stag roars, a haunting stretched out bark of power and loneliness. It echoes around and around inside my head like a Viking warning horn. Twisting, then slipping to sit on the ground suddenly, I realise with a thickening thud exactly where I am. It's the notch. I'm on the notch. Why am I here? I don't like this peak. Michael knows it. All of our walking friends know it. No, it's the same nightmare again. Trapped in the night terror and desperately trying to open my eyes. I'm gritting my teeth and whimpering but still stuck here on the damn mountain, rigid with fear. A pressure on top of me pins me to the ground. The devil himself pushes down on my chest and I start to hyperventilate as things on the mountain slow down to a sickening, sludgy slide reel. I feel his breath on my face and I can hear his laughter echoing around me. I don't know who he is. I never know. It makes it all the worse. A space 
where there should be facial features is just a black hole, lacking eyes, lacking a nose, lacking a mouth. He terrifies me. He is but a shadow. Now there's a sound behind me. Maybe it's the stag. I've always loved them. I stop bucking and the comforting thoughts trying to creep in. The night terror has layers each time it takes over me. I see the stag arrogantly strutting through harsh mountain ranges and unforgiving seasons, developing such a beautiful rusted fur, that pulsing body language that they own the land and we're interrupting their space. Then I sink into the black again. The stag is gone and night has fallen. Everything is black and a gloomy, misty monochrome. It's all my fault. I should never have come here. Why did I come here? The instinct that someone is nearby makes me want to turn, but I can't, not yet. My heart's racing so fast, I know I'm going to die. The pressure on my legs and chest identifies. Writhing and grunting among damp sheets, I start to buck. This is the worst bit. A soft voice, the words are muffled, and then the fall. Screaming and flailing now, there's a release like the opening of an airlocked door, a hatch to sunlight, and then blessedly, I'm free to move. Chalice, it's just a nightmare. Shh, my darling. Oh, Michael's here. The relief makes my face tingle with unused adrenaline. My husband gently untangles me from the bedding and wipes damp hair from my forehead. I'm here. You're fine, he whispers in the dark. The notch, the notch, the notch, it's the notch. Repeating it over and over, I mutter the name of the place that haunts my nights until my heart stills and I fall asleep to the sound of Michael's deep slumber in the bed next to mine. Chapter One, When the Black Water Comes. Serena. My name means star, apparently. Nothing star-like about me, that's for sure. Dylan means sea god, son of the waves, but my husband's offshore more than he's on land. Life's funny, yet really often not really funny. Well, not for me. Wrapping my cardigan tighter, pull lank red hair from its trap of thick black wool. The scarf I almost always seem to have stretched around my neck and shoulders these days. It's mid-May, but my bones just can't get warm. Embracing solitude, I like to stand and watch the distant waves at night. This feels the time better than anything that would need true concentration like a book or a television programme. Dylan's due back tomorrow. He's born Got been gone for six weeks this time. One of his longest stints on the rig this year. I used to dread him leaving before before it started, started happening to us. We'd spent his shore leave making love and laughing about how we missed each other like salt misses vinegar on chips. Now, almost ten years after meeting, we barely laugh at all. Too many babies lost to the waves, tiny bodies flushed away. Our hearts broken each time the little soul decided it didn't want us to be its parents. My breasts are stretch marked, each papery, silver line a lie. I'm not a mother. I'm not a parent. I didn't proudly breastfeed on the beach or chase chubby legs on rough, shell-stubbled sand. I don't have crumpled school shirts on an armchair by the dining table and I've never baked a sliding, slanting birthday cake. My heart's admitted defeat and I've accepted being a useless vessel with a stubborn set of my jaw and stoic refusal to make love to my husband anymore. He has an uncanny knack for making babies, and I have an uncanny knack for losing them. Small pipping sound startles me. 
It takes 10 seconds for me to register the buzzing in my pocket. It's the alarm Dylan sets for me in my mobile phone, the twice daily reminder to take my pills. Apparently it's the pills that keep me right. So day after day I take all eight. It's not an unpleasant feeling to float through life on a strange tide of nothingness. Getting really thirsty and having bad dreams where I'm falling is common, but it's far better than crying all the time and planning how to end my life and shouting at God for his lightning bolts of cruelty. So instead of being inside a storm, the pills ensure it's just an ongoing hint of thunder behind my eyes. It's okay, I guess. Sliding the veranda doors open, I step back inside the home that sometimes feels it listens to me. Weeks and sometimes months on end, the roof and walls are my only company. When my sister died a few years ago, I lost my soulmate. Don't be shocked. Just because I'm married to him, to Dylan, doesn't make him my soulmate. Keris and I weren't typical sisters. We were born two years apart and siblings of the same sex. We loathed each other when it suited. She a raven-haired mermaid all junk in the trunk bombshell with an astonishing motorboat-friendly cleavage. Me, taller, slimmer, described as academic and wispy, freckles scattered over my far too big nose like a supernova just passed by. My wide full lips often pursed in concentration over a magazine or newspaper and Keris on the opposite sofa doing her nails for the tenth time that day or taking bad selfies. As we entered our mid-teens, we found our common ground, bullying, painful periods and being mortified by our ballroom dancing, karaoke singing parents. But then Keris and I were forced to be soulmate close, pushed into it, bullied by something worse than jealous, acne-riddled schoolmates. Along came ovarian cancer. Yes, it was injustice, loss and anger that made us closer than ever just before she died. People call it the big C like it's something impressive, a place to visit or even a badge of honour. It's not big, not at all. It's not honourable either, especially in those last few months before death arrives. Hearing it shortened from the frightening dreaded cancer to one simple capital letter makes me want to pull my hair out. Yeah, my sister and I loved each other way more than I love my husband. But now she's gone and I have no one to love now, not even myself. Alice. Making a deep fill quiche and watching my husband doze in a ray of sunlight in the conservatory, I realise after all his recent efforts, Michael and I don't love each other like normal people. Yep, sometimes things aren't what they seem. When we met, it was smarts at first sight. Do you know what I mean? When you meet someone, and it's not physical attraction, but this weird mental link that you share, drawing you together. Well, anyway, Michael and I, we just stuck together and stayed together like a limpet would stick to a boat. But with a glass of wine in me, I'd tell you Michael was the limpet and I'm the boat. Often, I wonder how I came to be brave enough to have an affair. Women like me, we don't do that. I'm not a confident person. I'm not sparky, fun or sensual. Those lovely phrases that sexy and empowered women wear like coats of arms. I'm just Alice. Perhaps I've got a nice face. Well, people say I have a lovely face. Chin length, thick curtains of silken chestnut hair and brown eyes. Often sparkling behind a thick fringe. See, maybe I do have a confident turn of phrase after all. When I smile, my chin lifts up like I'm proud to be me. My eyes crinkle at the sides and I think I'm okay to have around. Michael tells me 
I need to stop talking about myself this way, in an arrogant way. That's how he describes me, vain and arrogant. At nearly 50, I think I look a lot younger than my age. That's mostly due to our life half-lived. Though I know that it's best not to mention it again, because it annoys Michael. He's the vain one of the two of us. I probably shouldn't even think about it. It's like he can read me like a book. I'm glad that our time together, our marriage, is coming to an end, even though it's slower than I would prefer. For the last few years, my husband's been distant, but not in a physical sense. In a strange, observing way, uncomfortable, I feel akin to a small, lone green pecker in our garden, like his little binoculars are trained on me. I'm watched. At first, I quite liked his attention. Now, after all this time, I feel unsettled. In fact, I need to be honest with you. I'm unhappy, very. Perhaps this is why I'm having so many bad dreams, anxiety, depression, or the need to escape. Right, so I'm not going to read any more than that because my phone's going buzzy, buzz, 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 as usual. That's one of my coaching clients. But that's to give you a sense of Serena and Alice, two very different women. One will become a psychological abuser who eventually redeems herself, and one will become a murder victim who eventually gets her revenge. And uh, further on in the book, I introduce Dylan and Michael and you hear their voices too. So I feel that it's, a, it's an educational book. It's a bit dark at the beginning and it gets kind of good old dark humour. And there's a happy ending with lots of revenge in it. Um, and I'm proud of it. I, I liked writing The Notch. It was my first novel, my second book. My first book's called Dangerous Normal People. And that is my study of narcissists and domestic abusers and stalking uh, based on my personal experiences. But I, I hope you enjoyed listening to this. And I did my best not to make too many mistakes. And I don't know if you heard the clickety-clackety sound. That's my staffies. I've got three Staffordshire Bull Terriers who, although they don't bark, they do wear high heels. <laughs> no, I've got I've got wooden floors. So they're clickety-clacketing around the house very quietly, trying to come and sit with me and having a sniff to see if I've uh, put any food down. So uh, my name's Lucy. Thank you for listening. And I hope you look up my books.